This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Roy Sloan is the new executive director of the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation. And you're like, Wapiti? Don't you mean Wapiti, which is elk? And yes, that is correct. But in New Zealand, they call it the Wapiti because it is a hybrid between a red deer and an elk. The elk were gifted to New Zealand in 1905 by Theodore Roosevelt. There was originally 18 of them. And the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation has taken it upon themselves to manage this area, which is in Fjordland, which is deep, deep South Island, New Zealand, to manage the quality of the herd as well as the health of the herd by reducing numbers, which in turn results in a healthy ecosystem, a healthy forest. They also do a lot of trap lines for stoats and mice and rats to protect the fio and the kiwi and specifically down here, the kaka and the kakahay. They are just a truly emblematic hunter-led conservation effort that is the gold standard in New Zealand. So I wanted to have a conversation with Roy and Adam, the chairman of the board, because we were there helping them. Dick R.S. Coop and Bagara International had funded the trap line in the lower Glasnock Valley, one of the most famous valleys when it comes to the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation and where the Wapiti were uh, originally released. And so this conversation happened in a hut in the middle of Fjordland, most idyllic place that you can ever think of doing a podcast in. And I really wanted to get a sense from them about why they do what they do for the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. 
there's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. I can hear you chewing your apple. <laughs> Just make sure you can... Oh, God, Adam. Uh, what, what position What position do you hold? Breathing so heavily in the microphone? I wonder who rings me and does that. This is an audio medium. You have to talk, Roy. Right. Oh, jeez, yep. not that loud. Yeah. That loud? No, I think you're good. You're good. Yes. Give me a mic check. Hello. More? More. Adam, give me a mic check. Mic check. Mic check. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. So, nice couple of days in Fjordland, huh? Do you like the place? Oh, jeez, you're blowing out the yep. microphone. Very loud. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think I do like the place a lot. It's, as you said, the Amazon on top of the rainforest, right? Yeah. Today it's, um, sun's out and, um, perfect day in Fjordland. Perfect day. Happens all the time. No rain here. It's always funny when you're in here and you're filming and, and stuff like that and people see you filming and it's generally on a fine day and they go, man, I thought it was eight metres of rain in Fjordland. It'd be raining most of the time, but you're actually filming on those days where it's not raining, so people think it's bloody... <laughs> it's fine <laughs> all the time. You get eight meters of rain here. Yeah, approximately. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, we were talking yesterday about um, about four years ago, we got one point eight meters of rain, and this is from our weather forecasting people in New Zealand. One point eight meters of rain in in the thirty days off the Wapiti ballot, and um, yeah, it was a little bit damp. In the heads of the West Coast valleys, especially. That's where Gil gets compressed coming in from the west. And that's uh, that's when you get that single waterfall that you were talking about? Yeah. <laughs> it's One waterfall. Should we go and look at that it's waterfall a beautiful again. waterfall. Yeah. Where is that? It's down near the Lugaburn. Oh. Yeah. You haven't seen the others, have you? Not the one we're off. <laughs> what, there's like 37,000 waterfalls in here? Approximately. And it doubles them. when it rains? Yeah, they certainly get a lot bigger when it rains. And if you go to somewhere like Milford Sound and you see the difference between going in there when it's been dry for a couple of days and, and immediately after the rain, there's just sh rivers of water and sheets of water running down. Just emerging from everywhere. Yeah. yeah. What were you saying? You've got to be careful where you camp here. I know. I'll tell you a story um, a few years ago. So you talk about rivers rising. Yeah. And um, we had rain and and um, this particular space where this person was camped, the, the river had come up eight metres. Eight metres? Eight metres. Mm. So you're talking about gorges and stuff like that, you know. You tell people in their safety briefings, like, watch out, it's going to come up eight metres. Yeah, so so this person, they got washed out of their tent um, down the river. Um, they certainly had no gear. Um, and They lost everything. Lost everything. But they found them on an island... Um, so far down the river it wasn't funny they they didn't have any hope he was on the island got washed away down the river and he was as happy as happy as Larry and they picked him off the island got him out so um, he got washed down the river he had a locator beating he had a um, sat phone he had um, all the bells and whistles for safety but 
when you're in a sleeping bag sleeping at night, <laughs> sitting beside you, and um, yeah, he was a he was a Gomberger down the river, and um, a happy ending. So it's, yeah, and and certainly, you know, rivers are the are the devil in New Zealand, no matter where you are, particularly in here. Just because. Because of the rain, and they come up so quickly. But um, you know, you get huge catchment from those um, big valleys up above, and and um, but you know, you wait, um, wait a day, and they're back to normal. So um, they flash that that big atom up and down. Well, there's the old adage in field, and a lot of lives would have been saved if people just we were patient. You know, there's no hurry to get across, and if you're really not sure, you're best to wait another day. But they do; they come up real quick and go down. Just as fast. Mm. Well, Adam, introduce yourself, please. Adam Fairmaid, um, president of the Field and Wapiti Foundation. But my main my main job really is support for our new CEO, Roy. Okay. How long has Roy been on the job? Well, we we joke about it. He's been on it for about fifteen years, but he's been paid for about four months. <laughs> <laughs> and happy with his his job last four months. He's he's doing okay. Uh, Joe's giving us a like. Mm. We've been happy with his job the last fifteen years. Okay, perfect. But, um, yeah, no, he's he's just coming into his own, really. Nice. Yeah. Roy Sloan, introduce yourself, please. Yeah, um, as I say, the junior manager of the Wapiti Foundation, and and. Um, just recently employed, so I'm new to this role. So I'm just following my feet in Fiordland, and um, I've, I've been here since December. So so far, it's just starting to get used to the office. Yeah, uh, 175,000 hectares of it. So um, you ask me again in years' time, and, and I'll probably give you an honest answer. You you said something that almost blew my mind, uh, maybe yesterday or the day before. How many days do you think you have spent in Fiordland? Oh look, I'm. If I'm guilty of something and, and, and that's not um, that's not preserving history, I'm really terrible. Anything that happened yesterday or I, I never, ever worry about it. I wouldn't have a clue. I've thousands? Oh, yeah. No, thousands would be crazy. I've, um, so I've been coming in here, I was just thinking about, um, we talked about the river before. My, f- my first trip in here was when I was um, almost 18. Okay. Up the... Up the Glacenock here. And, and you're from down here. This is your country. Southland is your country. Southland's my country, yep. Um, and explain to someone that has no idea, like I had no idea. I thought you were saying South Island yeah. of New Zealand. Yep. So, But it's not. No, no. It's um, probably the best way to describe Southland is, is actually it's paradise, really. <laughs> um, and if, if you're lucky to be a Southlander, you're, you're genuinely proud to be a Southlander. It's right at the bottom of the... New Zealand, right? You don't get much further south in in New Zealand, and um, you know, wildlife rich. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's um, if if you're an outdoors person, um, it, this is the place. You know, we Southland, we a lot of jokes about Southland. You know, um, we kind of getting the the pee taken out of us quite a bit around New Zealand, but it's it's you know, good people. Life's probably a bit slower. Um, and maybe we're a bit slower, <laughs> but no, it's um, you got Field National Park and and you know twelve point five thousand hectares of it, and that's only a, a touch of the hunting in Southland. You know, you river rich, trout, um, duck rich. Yeah, if put it this way, in Southlands, if you don't go duck hunting, mallard ducks, 
um, you actually you don't tell anybody that. Oh, okay. Uh, Jay, you've, you're actually, it is a religion. You're viewed with suspicion. You are. If you yeah. do not go duck hunting. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you don't have the crazies down here in Southland that would, opening day of duck season, that walk themselves out into the wetland to shoo the ducks away? We are. They're called duck hunters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's not a strong, there's not a strong element to that in Southland. No. Yeah. So Roy, if you've been coming in here since you're 18 years old, I don't want to guess how how old are you now. Um, I'm just spring chicken. Spring chicken. Yep. So um, just getting started. So I'm the second oldest person in the Wapiti Foundation. We've got a real old guy, Adam. Okay. I'm younger than Adam. Okay. Yep. By about five days. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow! Look at that. <laughs> and you would say that. How many days a year do you spend in here? Um, so Before you were a full-time employee and now you're not allowed to, you know, spend just frivolous time out in the wilderness. A real funny story. So religiously at this time of year, I'm in the bush six weeks solid. Since I'm employed with the Wapiti Foundation, I've had four days in the bush. <laughs> so, um, but um, no, I, originally I was, I was obsessed with Fjordland. I'm still obsessed with Fjordland. I've had people say to me, you know, why haven't you gone overseas or mm. or, or that sort of stuff. I, I sit there and I, I, my life is planned around my hunting and I go, right, if I go overseas, it's less time I'm going to be in here. Um, and my whole life's revolve around that really. And, um, you know, as I say, I've been coming here almost 40 years and, and originally um, my session was chasing a wapiti bull, a one of the wapiti bull. Um, Have you shot a wapiti bull? Yep, yep. So, I'm, I'm crazy competitive. Um, me and my wife, um, we agreed after meeting each other that we could never even play cards together, even walking out the car together. We race and, and this, just that's my mindset and kind of how, what drives me. And, and I've always, I was going to shoot a wapiti bull. I didn't, didn't want to shoot any wapiti bull. I wanted to shoot the wapiti bull, and and I guess I did. And really funny, it, it's the biggest regret of my life. I wish I never pulled that trigger. Um, I shot a, a big boy at, at that time, you, and I still think about that. I um, this bull, eighteen years I was I was hunting in here, and not like people coming here for the ballot. I would mm. co I'd come in here in the winter. I'd I walked through here, had a gum in the spring and in the summer, and and shit. I was spending, I was probably forty days in here, averaging there back wow. then, and I was, I was all over the place just to find that bull. And when I did, um, it was a cool story. Um, we we're right in the country. I was in the Edith, and um, we had the biggest storm. And ironically, on the way in. Me and and I'd normally hunt this place by myself, and I had somebody with me, a friend of mine. And on the way, and we actually probably saved a life to two people because of the storm that was happening, and, and gave them gear and bits and pieces. And big storm hit. Um, big snowstorm or rainstorm? Electrical snow. Okay. And there was about at the time there was about a meter of snow on some of the tops. It just come down. It was just ugly. So it cleared, and and we went for a big walk, and we kept on the tops and popped over into this uh, head basin and 
there at the dark and about oh, 600 metres down below me in this cliff, this spiker was wallowing in this wallow and all of a sudden the spiker just jumped out of this wallow and just boosted it out of there. And I turned around to my mate and I said, holy hell, there must be hunters coming up that valley and he's winded them. What else would he, why would he react like that? He, and he run, he run out of the head base and he just keep climbing. Next thing we heard this bugle, this big bugle and just looked down and it kept on bugling then it just walked out of the bush, this great big bull. Um, and he had uh, moss away over his antlers, so I, I couldn't judge oh, wow. how good he was. And he just came out, um, then followed by a couple of cows, and, and just bugled and bugled and bugled. We had um, half an hour to go to dark, and he was down through these cliffs. Um, and back then, I just had a big operation on my foot and a steel plate in my foot, and I was wearing these gummy, lace-up gummy things, and I looked down and thought, if I go after him, I'm probably going to slip off that and die. And I always think of that stuff. Oh, I'm glad my mum can't see me. So I, I looked at mate at you and I said, um, shit, got to have a crack at him. So I, there's a big rock face and I looked at the rock face and I just ran across this rock face and it was a speed that kept me, kept me up. I got across the other side and that was fine. I climbed down to him and he was bugling his head off and it was getting dark and I got onto 150 metres and I put my 270 up over a rock and thought, I can't shoot him. So I got into, I closed the space to half again for, I don't really want to shoot him. I got in again and, and um, I ended up, sh got into about 30 metres and, and Ewan was watching me from above and, and, and um, I actually put my gun up and started walking away from him. And I actually had to force myself to turn around and I shot him. Shot him, walked over to him and um, I have to say it was one of the saddest moments of my life. Hmm. For me, it was that chase. It was always the chase, and it was never that bull. Um, anyway, long story short, picked up a head scum and everything else, and um, we got back the tent at um, two o'clock in the morning. It fogged in, and um, originally the storm happened. And there was a bull bugling at the head of this basin. It was it's still one of the best young bulls I've ever seen in my life. He was about 50 inches. He was a 10-pointer, and he was only about three years of age. And he was just so cocky. He was bugling all the time. We almost went down the wrong valley. It was only this bull that got us back to a tent at <laughs> that time in the morning. I had a torch. Ewan didn't have a torch. And we would have tucked up there under a rock and told lies all night anyway. But, um, yeah. So wow. That, so it was the chase. And, and funny thing about that bull is that um, I didn't know it at the time, but it actually served a purpose. That bull probably saved this wobbly herd. Huh. Um, hadn't been a bull seen come out of here like that bull for uh, 30, 40 years. Um, we are at the end of uh, deer recovery in New Zealand. Deer recovery at the time had stopped in New Zealand and the venison market had, had ceased because some greedy um, deer recovery guy had... Um, gone out and shot deer in the area that Ted Annie had been dropped. Mm. So the, the that deer got exported to Germany. They found um, some... Traces of 1080. 1080. Yep. It, it not only did it almost stop our um, venison market, it almost stopped our meat market in New Zealand. So venison had stopped at that time. Deer recovery had, had not happened in here for four years. Um, and prior to that, in here, when you were hunting... And you know, I told you before, 
I think how many years it took me to get that bull and how many times I was spending here. You'd come in here and you would hunt for 10 days, two, back then bullets were two weeks. You possibly only saw one or two deer in that period of time. Hmm. So two things with that bull was, is the one that really people saw it and went, holy hell, there is hope. Mm-hmm. And two is that maybe why there's not whoppy in here is because it's been um, bastardised by the deer venison industry where they're coming in here, taking the males, of course they weigh more. Sure, sure. Lots more meat. A lot more meat. And, and um, actually, if we do manage it, there's a, there is actually a reason to do it because potentially these animals... Um, are there still there? So that was the first of the bull that came out of here, and over that first ten-year period, there was um, a fifty-inch shot. There was you know some really good animals taken mm-hmm. out of there, so mm-hmm. it potentially saved the herd that bull. Mm-hmm. Adam, have you killed a bull in here? Yep, yep, just one um, last year. How many times have you been applying to come in here? Applying? Well, before I was on the committee, I applied seven times in a row without getting a ballot. And well, I've applied probably for 20 years. Um, How many times have you been in here? Been in here 11. 11 times? Yep. Killed one bull? Yep. Wow. Um, the reason I've been in here 11 times is because I've been ready to go at the last minute if people didn't pick up okay. the ballots. And um, just... Hoping upon hope that something would come up, come up. And generally, I've been I've been to one block four times, which is not a popular block. We won't say where it is, but um, so I've picked that up and gone in there four times. It's one of the outermost blocks. And now you know that block pretty well. Yep. Is that where you killed your bull? No, actually, I shot a red stag in there. Now I think about it, <laughs> I shot a twelve pointer. But um, how would you know? How did you know that? Oh, I shot a red stag versus a wapiti. Oh, I. Just that you can, the genetics are very strong in the central core area and fairly weak outside of it. Um, so they look more red staggy versus look more elky. Yeah, yeah. I did hear one bugle on that block over the four trips I went. Um, and I have heard a bugle outside of the Wapiti blocks as well in the northern area um, many years ago. Um, it's, but. Generally, the core areas you'll hear mainly bugles, mm. and in the non-core areas, the very outer limits, you'll generally hear roars, and you can, uh, some of the animals out there are quite plainly um, not bulls, but uh, we try not to judge that, and I probably did that, um, shot that animal fairly early on. And you killed your bull last year? Mm. In here? Yeah, at the top of the valley where we're sitting now, just over the lip and in the top of the Edith, um, shot a bull up in there. And similar story to Roy's, we spotted it a K away. Um, Did you feel like, you, were you part of the Fjord and Wapiti Foundation at that point? Yeah, this last year, yeah. Did um, you feel more pressure on you to, because that's the culture you're breeding, right? This idea of yeah, l- let them grow kind of scenario. Take yeah. the video, let them grow. Yeah, absolutely. Felt more pressure. Um, and I think that's a good thing. But uh, we saw this bull from a kaway, and we had it in a viewfinder, and um, and took a look at it. Got pretty excited, and we had we had four hundred meters vertical to climb, and probably by the time we left where we were, about forty minutes to get there. Mm. 
and similar thing. I wasn't like Roy. I wasn't at all hesitant. <laughs> I was pretty keen to shoot it um, when, it, when I saw what it was. And then um, we shot it, probably had 30 seconds left before we would have run out of light. Mm. And uh, couldn't find it that night and came back the next day. Oh, man. How far mm. had he gone? We'd gone about it. How far had he gone? He hadn't gone far at all. Okay. But it was just... Too thick. dark to push him on. Yeah, too dark and yep. pretty thick. Did you just camp there for the night? No, we went back to... Our camp was a carway. We'd, oh, okay. We'd gone it was to this, pretty close. Yeah, we'd gone to this particular place to listen and um, sat there for three or four hours with nothing happening and then an hour till dark it started bugling mm-hmm. and we located them. Yeah. Jeez. What about what we were talking yesterday, Roy, that there have been in the past, and here I'm trying to get it back into sort of American terms for people to understand. There have been four four hundred inch bulls. And when you say whoppity, we've been talking about elk, essentially. Theodore Roosevelt brought twenty elk gifted twenty elk to New Zealand at the time. Yep. For what reason? Um was back in Back in the, oh, I call it a Christmas present, actually. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's while we're sitting here. It, it's, um, it's hunters' terms. It's, it's um, that sort of stuff is why we live. Um, so I'm, I, I'm sure. So I, I believe back there we were training um, different species around the world. You know, they perhaps I, I think. What did you give America? Um, we. We gave him um, Stephen Adams. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> Best basketball player in America. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, no, that's me. That's now, not then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we, um, <laughs> not sure. I think it was maybe Kakapo, which okay. was the largest parrot in the world. Yeah. Um, um, or something like that. So I believe there was some sort of trade mm-hmm. that happened. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was kind of, yeah, it was a raw deal, really. <laughs> um, so. You know, we'd, so they were released here, and, and um, they actually, the original release site, um, they haven't spread far. Um, we had, of course, invasions of red deer coming from both sides, so they mm-hmm. were released earlier on, and, and um, people talk about the red deer being more aggressive. Um, not too sure if that's the, the truth or not behind the matter. I mean, it's funny with species, that a lot of times it comes down to food source. They may have eaten them out of house and home, I'm not sure. I don't think anybody knows the truth there. Um, and, and then they they hybridise and um, crossbred. And the um, funny thing is that, um, you know, if you farm elk in New Zealand, they're hard to farm. They soft. Lot, they're soft. Yeah. A lot of deaths. Um, what become the backbone of the New Zealand deer industry in New Zealand was whoppity out of here. So some reason when they crossbred, they, um, they're a, an easy animal to handle um, and saying that if, if you're chucking a um, a net over them out of a helicopter at four and a half thousand feet and then climbing on top of them oh, I wouldn't say that okay it's, it's they put a bit of scrap up but um so they you know they become the backbone of the farming industry in New Zealand really for deer um, it's pretty funny we we have people just to um, two groups of people in New Zealand, there's people who talk about, you know, we need to release new blood in here. Um, and People say they want to, they, you should bring more elk, new blood of elk and put them in here? Yeah, correct. Huh. Um, but w- we've actually done a bit of science behind that, to be fair. You know, 
we put one thing is if you put Elk in here, the street kids in here would just beat them up. Beat them up. Yep. Um, but the other side of it is is that you know we've had a, some biologists, in fact, American biologists involved as well, is the fact that the group who think that we should release there um, paid for this biologist to come over from America who's one, who actually done his um, master's in fjordland on these animals. Flew him around, landed in Tianao, and, and he is, he said to the team, you want my truth? He said, the truth is that these animals are probably adapted to this country. They're the right animal for this country. So the other, the other side of the argument is too is that you come into Fjordland and hunters hunt trophies generally because they're competitive. Mm -hmm. You're actually, um, there's no new blood in here. The blood, you're on level ground. You're hunting a wapiti in here and if you take a wapiti in here, that's a trophy. It's an earned trophy. Yep. You know, that that's pride in place. Um, and from my perspective is that I think we're at a at a time and, and I talk this and if I write articles I always talk about we call this the fuel and wapiti these are the fuel and wapiti that's what we've got and um, you know it's against the law to release deer in New Zealand for a start so um, you know we talk about the brain we talk about everything else in here it's, it's a tough country Adam how would you describe Fjordland to someone who's listening to this podcast and they're like we have no idea like what this landscape looks like. Well, I think um, talking to yesterday, I said it sounds it, it's a lot like Jurassic Park. If you if you look at Jurassic Park uh, in the movie, that's actually what Fjordland looks like. Mm. And perhaps in the under in the understory um, under the canopy, it's different. But um, uh, it's unforgiving country. It's dramatic. It's um, a lot of U-shaped valleys. Um, with very steep sides and then you know, in the boat coming here we were 50 metres off the shore and it was 260 metres deep <laughs> yeah. yeah well that's Fjordland it doesn't stop at the water level it just keeps going down and it's the same on the other side too we're on the east side at the moment on the um, on the inland lake side but on the coastal side um, the the sides run very deep as well mm -hmm. so uh, ferns mosses Damp mud, yeah. Tree roots everywhere. Yeah, it's definitely challenging country to be in, but it's country that grows on you. And um, uh, Roy called Southland Paradise. I call this paradise in mm. a way. Um, it's it's. I also call it the real world. Mm. You know, you're not. You come out here and you're it. You're going to survive on your own wits, mm. and um, it's uncompromising. Mm. And you're grateful for the. Things like shelter and food and being dry and all the things that um, that sort of ground you um, that maybe you don't necessarily um, you take appreciate. For exactly. You don't appreciate in um, in the other world. Mm -hmm. mm. Steep, steep mountainsides that then transition from how old these are obviously these forests have never been cut. No, no, it's. Um, 200 year old 300 year old forests at least yeah at least you know some of the podocarp in here is probably 600 600 yeah wow um yeah and then transitions into alpine tussock tops yep bush scrubbing um and you'll find wapiti all the way from the bottom to the top yep yep 
they're amazing. In- interesting when we have red deer in here and when we're doing deer recovery, and I always think of this. Wapiti survived very well in that steep country. We were doing deer recovery one day, and there was six Wapiti cows, and there was a red hind with them, and they're on this steep country. That they stopped. You could tell that difference immediately. Yes, yep. Physically, size is the big thing. Okay. Yep. And colour, uh, and they stopped moving, and the red stag started, the red hind started sliding away from the group, and the 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 wapiti cows stood there. Um, we, in fact, we got the helicopter underneath them and pushed them up so that wouldn't fall to its death, and they walked off. And um, you get a certain day in here, and then I always remember um, um, have a. When I bring somebody new in here who hasn't been here before, I always have a, a little competition with them. Who can spot the um, first wobbly bull or off the day or whatever? Doesn't have to make a cup of tea today. Mm. You go straight to the highest point and there's generally a wobbly sitting on it. <laughs> so, uh, mind you, I've always spotted that wobbly before I make the competition up. But, um, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But, um, they're certainly high. They, it's... Um, Are they eating tussock grasses up there? Is that why they're up there? A, a little bit of that, yeah. They, they certainly, I, I do believe that the habitat is, is that open country more, that tussock country. You know, you. it's funny, wapiti hunters probably eat the less wapiti venison than anybody on earth. But when you try venison in here, the wapiti venison, is, there's no two ways about it. It's different. It's It's more, it's beef with a taste. Mm. Um, but if you shoot a red deer in the bush in New Zealand, it's quite gamey. Mm-hmm. And I believe that, you know, at the moment we have uh, a market for venison, we would take that venison that's going to a lot of the um, restaurants around New Zealand, and all the chefs are straight away going, they can tell it's wobbly, not red, by the taste. And, but I, I believe that that's because they live out in that tussock a bit more. It's probably what they eat more mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. where they live. Adam, you guys last year interacted with is it with Wild? Mm-hmm. Explain that program. Well, Roy's had a lot more to do with that program than I have, but um, we'll set it up and then you can hand yeah. it over to the executive director. <laughs> Effectively, um, we we take we in our arrangement with Department of Conservation, we have to remove. A lot of animals from here. Why? So why are you removing animals? Hunters are like, holy shit! Why? It's just you. Why reduce the opportunity? Well, as you know, we're a hunter-led conservation group, and so conservation actually has to come first, uh, or else we can't exist. So we over the over the uh, many years now, we've been taking a large number of deer out and. Probably from as little as seven hundred to up to fourteen hundred deer a year to maintain the maintain. Feel free to step in, Roy, at any time. <laughs> um, um, Need as well. Yeah, to maintain the um, uh, the environment, mm. especially the alpine environment. Um, well, that's the key. That's it. That's the only. Re- well, no, it's not actually. You're you're maintaining a healthy environment, whilst at the same time maximizing the health of your herd. That's right, yeah. So with Wild, um, we want really want them to take um, most of our game meat and process it and turn it into something useful. Um, we, uh, on occasion, we've had to fulfil our obligations. We have to get 
rid of a certain number of deer and if there's no one to take them we have had to leave deer on the hill mm-hmm. and that's part of our management contract mm-hmm. uh, if we have to do that and we can't get rid of them mm-hmm. that's what we have to do mm-hmm. so with a company like with wild we can actually turn it into um something that's useful something that's productive um it, you know it, it Wapiti's seen as a, a very high value product and it's got a great story it's got an environmental story but it's also got a great taste mm-hmm. so um with wild um, uh, the other side of that where we're not just sending them all to an abattoir and making it a commodity we're trying to change it into something that's actually um, got more value mm-hmm. Anything to add Roy? Um, you know um, I guess it's this old story that we hear around the world and, and um, I think it was a it was a, you, you hear a famous American biologist with the last name Leopold mm-hmm. always says that um, you know a, a deer herd heals very quickly but a mountain takes generations mm. and, and that's kind of what we live by in here is that you know we, we talk about deer and we talk about conservation where there's the other side of that as well um, you know th- these animals take a lot of um, protein to um, grow antlers to be healthy to compete with everybody else in here we actually need the population to be at a low level anyway so um, that's the story you know we keep that population to a certain level and it also helps produce big antlers which attracts hunters you know you, you come in here you don't want to see um, rats and mice running around you know deer with small antlers and stuff like that you come in here, you actually, you're in here to trophy hunt. This is not a, a, a meat-producing area for hunters. Hunters don't come in here to hunt for venison. They, they generally, 99% of people come in here to take the, a trophy. So it's a win-win for conservation and recreation. And, you know, we're a hunter-led conservation group, but no bones about it. We're a bunch of hunters, you know. Do you think, here's, you, you just mentioned something that's almost like it's one of the biggest arguments against hunting in the world is that we're just a bunch of trophy hunters. We actually don't care. We just are interested in killing the most mature animal. That's all. We're not interested in the meat. We're not interested in anything else. We just are We're interested in killing that trophy. You actually have the answer here to that statement which is yes we are trophy hunters but if we weren't the whole conservation effort would fall apart and it and it, and, and that that happens all over the world you just don't have it as clearly outlined as you guys have here you've got the healthy herd you've got the healthy forest you've got your trap lines your predator trap lines all because people are interested in chasing the trophy mm. bull in this crazy part of the world. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you have that argument, and and uh, I guess you know, we look at a species over here, and it's an introduced species, which actually people focus on um, introduced species from a hunter's perspective. They're hard to manage because they're um, introduced species and they have no actual protection from the government. 
So if a helicopter comes in, they can take any animal they want to see. But on the other side, what and, and this is kind of what we kind of do, we focus on the negativities too much. But on the other side, actually, it gives us a licence where we can to manage those deer mm. for benefits of conservation. And, and also that trophy hunting story is actually the answer to the whole to the whole um i guess process of deer management in fjordan but here we are we're in fjordan people coming here to hunt trophies we manage the area for trophy hunting which enables the population of deer to be managed to a certain level forest um you know forests are thriving forests because are thriving. of it yep and um so you know there's no magic bullet that's gonna say all of a sudden get rid of all the deer in New Zealand they've got to be managed and S that's what we're providing so for the parts of fuel that aren't we don't manage it's very much vulnerable to a boom and bust cycle of of venison demand overseas mm. so the venison if there's a lot of demand um, choppers are out they're shooting lots of animals you get a good environmental outcome from that but um, when there's no demand and there hasn't been for two or three years now they really aren't keeping a lid on numbers and that's a problem whereas we've got a consistent program yeah, because here. doc's not going in there they don't have the budget no so it's uh i mean that you could make an argument for this happening in a lot more places it's mm -hmm. certainly there's certainly the seeker foundation are, mm -hmm. uh it, following a similar sort of line of well program to what we're doing but yeah we chatted to snow snow's keen on you know, hopefully the Tile Foundation taking over a couple of ballots yep. and working that system the same way that you guys are working the system down here. Mm. And there's probably a lot more scope for it, um, even other parts of Fjordland, mm. I think. Mm. Talk about the, um, you know, the, 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 the thing that beyond the trophy hunting is obviously your intention to protect native fauna, not native flora. So the fios and the kiwis and the kias and the kakas. Yeah. Um, I always talk about, I call us the caretakers of the place because, you know, this is not our place. It's everybody's place and we have um, other people who <laughs> come in here for various reasons. So we were enabled by... Um, the programs that we we run for the hunters in here to actually add value back into um, our native species. So, you know, we talked about the kia, the fio, uh, the blue duck, and and other varieties of species in here that um, you know we we are able to add value to because of the money that comes from the hunters. And and you know we we started this off as a, a group of hunters wanting to protect the wapiti, and we kind of evolved as mother nature kinds of does and into a, a group of guys who um always cared for conservation um but you know a lot of groups talk about conservation they talk about conservation we actually do it do it and um but it's know, not just a group of hunters you were telling me earlier you've got non-hunters that yeah engage in the fall of the foundation yeah so at the end of the day i always always talk about this when you know, different groups of people are, are discussing and fighting and about doing this and doing this. At the end of the day, we're all um, fathers, 
mothers, kids, and we go home to our families at the end of the day. We're just the same people. We just have different projects we do or, or different passions. And, and generally, as a rule, we're actually pretty closely aligned. I'm a hunter, you don't want deer. But we have so much other stuff in, in common. You know, we like rugby and, and everything else, um, that sort of thing. So, you know, if we... Didn't you get told in the last two days Wales is like the best rugby team in the world? Wales, um, I don't know if Wales even play rugby anymore. They, oh. um, yeah, I think I've only ever met two famous Welshmen and, and they hold camera. Lewis <laughs> um, <laughs> is giving a wry smile. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we see this as an opportunity to engage the community. Because mm. when you do stuff like this, um, this is just a business, really. And I don't mean that in terms of that we're trying to make huge profits in there but our marketing and our people people it's about people right so that's about community mm-hmm. and if we don't engage community um we're going to fail so we have to keep g- engaging people in what we're doing and conservation is a great leveler for everybody because yeah. it's something we all agree on 100 percent, 100 percent. adam final thoughts uh i guess what I think about a lot is um, what the future holds, and we have a lot of discussions about what we want to do going forward. And I think um, what the Fuel and Wapiti Foundation has created before my time, and um, Roy's been a you know massive part of that, um, is an incredibly good model for um, hunterly conservation with a good outcome for everybody. Yeah, hundred percent. And um, we we're starting to see that spread throughout New Zealand now into other groups, and um, that's really encouraging. And I guess um, watch the space. Yeah, hundred percent. There's, um, I think, we're always trying to think of ways that we can um, improve what we're doing, and and um, you know have a good community outcome for our hunting community, for our, and for our general mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. So we've got lots of ideas going forward, probably. Yeah, we um, talked about how many ideas in the last thirty six hours about fundraising efforts. Kinda <laughs> kinda what makes you tick tick when you want to be successful though, isn't That's it? Right. Yeah. That's right. That's hundred percent. You've got to just keep pushing and pushing and thinking outside the box mm. and just saying, Oh, I think we could do this or we could do that and just testing it, testing it out. It may work, may fail. Okay, you learn, you move on. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I mean that's um it's one thing that we've been very good at, the Wapi Foundation, is that I think I told you yesterday that all our good ideas are, are thought at 3 a.m. in the morning. Mm. Um, we certainly tested that number <laughs> last night. <laughs> yeah, we... Oh, well, to be fair, Roy went off to sleep quite early. Oh, that's right. Well, no, I think what he... I'm trying to... F- I'm, I'm sort of sussing his plan now, right? He'll He'll be with the party. He'll take a quick nap. Yeah. So that at 3 a.m. he is now ready to be back into That's the right. party, yeah. revived. Yeah. At his age, it's restorative. That's correct. Yeah, yeah I would say that as yeah. the second oldest person here. Well, <laughs> I, also, I also had um, one of my managers said to me last night, actually, you're still on the clock, so you um, probably need to shut down now. Yeah. Yep. And you did. I did. You yeah. shut down right away. Yeah. Yep. Did, yep. At the table. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I'm I'm still stunned. We um, this is a bit like confessions, really. Um, Adam, you shot a bloody red deer in in um, that block here and didn't tell us about. In Charles Sound. Yeah. Oh, we weren't yeah. supposed to talk well, about the block. Ten years ago. <laughs> yes, <I did>. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we appreciate uh, both of you being on the podcast. Um, it's a privilege for us to be here. Um, to see what your work and capture it and tell th- your story across the world. Um, we are privileged to be able to have helped you uh, with Bergara and Roy, you remember? No. no, no you're already blanking. Oh, it's yeah, just yeah. Yeah. Dick R.S. Coop yeah. out of Bergara, Spain. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just uh, their wonderful funding. Um, around the world really for conservation yeah. through a gun company that was like we need to give back and they asked us if we had any projects and I said oh we got a couple of projects in New Zealand that we could fund and they were keen to fund it and so you know gave Cam some money gave you guys some money gave the Eastern Fielding some money and um, invested uh, about 100,000 New Zealand dollars in total. It's greatly appreciated and um, it's really, it's actually quite humbling to have interest from overseas mm-hmm. in what we do. And um, Well, yeah, it's we a great effort. You guys, It's just, uh, as I said, I think that's why we're here. That's why we've got slots here and telling the story because it's a fantastic story. It's a fantastic story of the benefits and consequences that come from hunters and what they do on the land. And that's the thing, you know, um, for us, you know, you punch away, you punch away, and you you fight for every buck you can get to do all the work you you can. And and, and I'm not sure if I said this when we chatted last time, but um, it's when you get a surprise like that mm-hmm. with with um, from out of New Zealand, it, it really actually it picks team up and, and for sure, yeah. And um, as I said, it's bloody hard work out there. And, mm-hmm. um, that's why you got to stay up to three a.m. in the morning trying to think of these ideas. Yeah, and you would have been you would have been um, felt privileged to meet such a sophisticated bunch of people. Exactly, over here, hundred percent. Cody, Joe, Adam, Roy. We just we we forgot the sophisticated one. The doctor didn't arrive. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we we being normal to this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Cool. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.